Here we are again for Knowing God with Heart and Mind, that regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm Pastor Dan. I am joined this time by my beautiful daughter, Bethany, who got to miss the last recording uh, because she's a busy person, <laughs> has a lot going on. And uh, so we are in the uh, fourth and final session of The Salvation of Doctor Who, a Bible study written by Matt Rawl. And uh, we'll put a link to the book and information on the uh, podcast. And uh, you'll be able to get a hold of that if you'd like to study it with your small group. This is an overview of the study, and it is going to be far more rewarding for you to take what we've inspired and do it in your small group. Um, or with your family or something like that. So make sure you do. And uh, in the meantime, this is something to keep your juices flowing during the week between worship services and Sunday school classes and things like that. We are recording this episode on Saturday, February 1st, and uh, that's in the year 2020. So we're looking forward to uh, sharing this with you now. So Bethany, we're going to do um this final chapter which is aptly titled bigger on the inside mm -hmm. and it alludes to the most commonly used phrase when someone enters into the tardis for the first time mm -hmm. and it is especially uh relevant <clears throat> in the context of the trinity which is really what our topic is today and uh, we're going to to uh, look at that and um, see it in the in the relationship to the TARDIS and its unique qualities. Um, before we pray, our study guide suggests that we think all of us together for a minute about the uh, various things that we've seen in our lives that just don't. That, that defy explanation, that, that engineering marvels, natural marvels. Um, you know, there are people who don't really understand how their television works, mm -hmm. which is fine. Nobody said that you uh, had to, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of fascinating when you realize that how something really works when when you begin to understand um, the, the the workings of a thing, the science of a thing. I, I'm trying to imagine something. I I think about all kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'll start with something with a couple of simple examples just to sort of help get people to think. Um, if you've ever been to uh, a harbor. And you've seen these massive ships. Uh, I remember on a vacation of several years ago, we went up to Sault Ste. Marie and and uh, we wanted to see the locks there between the Great Lakes. And I said, well, it should be right over there somewhere. And, and it would have been funnier if I'd said, next to that building that's moving. <laughs> because as we parked in the public parking we were facing the canal that leads into the lock and there was this ship entering into the lock that was so big it looked like a large block of buildings yeah cuz you couldn't you couldn't actually see the ship it just you could see the upper cabins or decks or whatever yeah, of yeah. this ship but you couldn't actually see that it was a ship because it was behind some smaller building. Yeah, so there's this multi-story building going by. It was really wild. And what really is amazing is, well, let alone the ship, I mean, just understanding how locking uh, mm -hmm. systems work. But, but just to understand that you make something so huge and so massive. I don't even know what the dry weight of an ore boat is. Mm-hmm. But I would assume that it's heavy enough to sink. <laughs> and it doesn't. Because of displacement. Mm -hmm. And so it's things like that. It's just like once you begin to realize that, that a 747 shouldn't fly. Yeah. 
But it does. But don't think about it when you're flying because that'll trip you up. Because you keep thinking, how in the world could something this heavy and then loaded with so much weight mm-hmm. take off and fly? And, and so all of that, you know, we tend to take for granted, but it's pretty amazing. So that's what we're being asked to consider mm-hmm. here is is consider things that are familiar to you. But when you stop and think about them and how they work, it, it's a little mind boggling. And, you know, there are people who understand all this stuff and they're real geniuses and everything, and that's great. But for the most part, there are a lot of things in our world that we enjoy and take for granted, but we don't understand how they work. So that was, you know, kind of the suggestion in the book to get us started in that thought process. So with that in mind, let's uh, do the opening prayer here. Lord, thank you for what we've learned during our time together and give us wisdom and humility as we join together for this final session. Open our eyes to the ways you are at work among us and in the world around us. Open our ears to the ways you speak to us through one another, our stories and our shared experiences. Bless this time we have together that we can learn from one another, from the scripture, And from the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, here we go, Bethany. The uh, first first thing we're going to hit right here is the whole concept of bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Mm -hmm. So, so we've told people some basic things about the Doctor Who storyline and all that. But it's probably fair to remind them that he travels in a in a craft that is called the TARDIS. And the TARDIS appears on the outside to be a 1960s era police box, which is kind of like a miniature police station. Mm-hmm. And uh, Well, and if you have no frame of reference for that, just picture like a phone booth. Yeah. Because it's that size. A larger phone booth than... Slight, yeah, slightly larger, but not huge. And so... That's where you start. You think about this this box, this this uh, uh, little blue shed that used to be very common, I guess, in, in England, especially in the cities. And it was a place where police officers could call in uh, and talk to the uh, main uh, office, to the, to the local precinct or whatever. And it was also a place where they could contain someone that they had arrested. So it was kind of like that. And I think, like... It was also, like, if you were a citizen and in trouble, mm-hmm. you could grab that phone and make a call. Kind of like we have those security things, mm-hmm. like on the Riverwalk. There's yeah. places where you can do that. And yeah. So, so it, was, it was a safe place. And, and, of course, the story goes that it still looks like the blue box from the 60s because the, the mechanism used to disguise it got broken. And the and, props department is thrilled. And, and so now that's become such an iconic thing. Yeah. That it might as well stay broken because if Doctor Who ever, you know, if he ever changed what it looked like on the outside, you know, I mean, what would it look like? Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think he'd he'd go with like a Porta John or something like that? Because, you know, that's more common nowadays. And I'm kind of glad it's still just a police Mm -hmm. box. It's it's okay. So anyway, um, the thing about it is, is the, uh, the TARDIS, when you walk inside, on on the outside it looks like a kind of i'd say roughly four foot by four foot Mm -hmm. box and um you know probably about 10 feet high with an eight or six foot door maybe maybe about eight feet high but anyway that's what it looks like is like you can walk around the whole outside of it Mm -hmm. in a very short amount of time and you do walk around like it's not like you. It's not like part of it's invisible. Right. You can completely get around it in a very short amount of time. It's that size on the outside. So when you open the door and step in, and you see this massive interior that doesn't add up, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, for the sake of the show, the only part you ever see is the main control center. Mm-hmm. Um, which has sort of an island in the middle that like contains, you know, the controls, and and you never really see the rest. But they always had a couple episodes, but they've had some fun over the years. But just alluding to yeah. the, you know, like there's a swimming pool and yeah. you know, and, and the wardrobe closet, yeah, and just stuff like that. 
So, so anyway, this, this is just a way to kind of help those who may not be familiar get a, get a picture in their mind. It doesn't make sense, except that the TARDIS is, in fact, both a craft and a portal to someplace outside of space and time. Mm-hmm. And so the wherever it is, it becomes the portal. But to get from where it is to where it's going and so forth, it's piloted like some sort of spacecraft. So it has a little bit of that going on. And um, it's a little hard to wrap your mind around it. And what's really fascinating is Matt Rawl writes in, in the book that, that, you know, it's still probably easier to understand the concept of the TARDIS than it is to understand the concept of the Trinity. <laughs> and so that's why he applies the understanding of the TARDIS uh, to a discussion of the Trinity, because to a certain extent, I find the TARDIS fairly simple to understand. I, I, mean, I mean, there are a lot of things that can be imagined that can't be achieved at this point, but I am quite confident that I personally feel like I understand the nature of time and space and how God and, and certain, you know, aspects of God's, God's uh, being can be discovered to be outside of time and space. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so, you know, it's kind of interesting, really, that, that time and space are inescapable for us and yet they are limited to us to a certain extent. So outside of, of us, there isn't any need for space-time. <laughs> so anyway, um, so getting, getting through that, we, we've got this picture in our mind of, of the TARDIS. And so now we want to look at this picture of the Trinity, which Rawl describes with a mathematic equation. He says one plus one, equal, one, plus one, plus one equals one. Meaning the Trinity is one plus one plus one equals one. Mm-hmm. And that statement is as improbable and hard to understand as a uh, four foot by four foot box that is enormous on the inside and yet looks small on the outside so so it's along those lines it's the same sort of equation um if you took what should be you know like like uh if you just take four foot by four foot by four foot by four foot so you take a four foot square uh then then you know how many square feet would that actually be on the inside of that box right you know Mm -hmm. 16 square feet right sure that's that's how you figure that out. Square footage is height by... Yeah, but I just don't... I'm not really a math person. Well, all I'm saying is is that if you open the door to the to the police box, you should not expect to see more than 16 square feet of space mm-hmm. on the floor. Mm-hmm. But when you open the TARDIS, you see a 1,000 square feet. Yeah. Even though on the outside, there can't be more than 16 square feet. That's... The comparison he's making between one plus one plus one equals one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now that we've got that pretty well established, um, if if you were to talk into somebody who didn't really have any knowledge of the Trinity mm-hmm. or Christianity, and you were trying to get them, if you asked somebody who didn't really understand what Christians believe, um. And you ask them to try to explain what they think Christians believe about the Trinity. What what do you imagine they'd say? What they think. I mean, they might just say, what's the deal with the Trinity? I'm teaching a class on Wednesday nights, Mm -hmm. which is also being shared on this podcast channel. Um, It's all part of knowing God with heart and mind. And we're we're looking at differences between Islam, uh, Judaism, and Christianity. And one of the things that Islam and most Muslims cannot abide about Christians is that God is three persons in one, and that, uh, and and so as far as they're concerned, we worship three gods. 
they they refuse and i'm not saying in this case that they aren't justified because that's not the purpose of the discussion you have to listen to the other podcasts the the wednesday night study but they will say don't get it don't understand you people you you try to explain it but really all i hear is is you worship god the father god the son and god the holy spirit and that's three gods and we believe there is one god and god's name is allah you know or the or the and there is but one god and allah is his name and muhammad is his prophet that's kind of their saying right and so they don't get it they 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 think that we are doing something abominable because we would choose to believe that God is three persons and that the whole idea of God being three persons in one is so ridiculous to them that they won't even listen to that. They just hear you saying there are three gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are Christians who can't accept that. There are Christian traditions that say the only presence of God that is now in existence is the Holy Spirit. So they have this progressive view yeah. of the Trinity which, well, they don't really think of it as a trinity. They think that God the Father became God the Son, God the Son became God the yeah. Holy Spirit, and so we're only dealing with the Holy Spirit. And there's a temptation to accept that understanding because all the evidence seems to point to that if you just look at it from a purely practical standpoint. You know, And and but, but there is a way to interpret the trinity better than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to say I can explain the Trinity, but I think it can be understood better than that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when the doctor enters the scene, we see this blue box. And when God enters our lives, we experience Father, Son, and Spirit. And what people should probably be thinking about right now, what I would encourage them to think about right now, is what is your experience of God, what, where does God become the most real to you? Is it God, the father, God, the son, or God, the Holy spirit? What, what part of God's triune nature are you most connected with when you think about that? I mean, to put it another way, when, when you, when, when, you know, you, we were watching this wonderful chosen, Mm -hmm. uh, the chosen, series uh streaming series that's on tv and 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 you said we should uh, do we should do like those other podcasts that are out there and do like recaps yeah we'll have to consider that (laughs) but what's interesting is is that you know there was a moment there when he when jesus did something and you said that's my jesus (laughs) right yeah (laughs) because you saw him in a way that you've always understood him. Well, I think it's easy for me to sit, answer your question because it's always been the sun for me, which doesn't mean that I don't connect with the other parts of the Trinity, but I've always had this really, I don't know. I've always, and maybe it's because I'm a reader and I really get invested in characters and I like really deep characters and Jesus is not a character, No, but, but... I read the bible the same way as i read other books Mm -hmm. and so for me it's always been jesus that's been the most like vivid portion of the trinity because he's a person to me and he's a person i think would would and is my friend Mm -hmm. um so yeah watching that show is just great because it's like yep that's that's how i absolutely believe he was full of humor and kindness and so, yeah, I mean, that would be, and it's not that I don't connect with the other two. It's just that he's, and it's because he's human, I think. Yeah. He's more vivid because he's not a kind of flittering, I, I don't know, not flittering, but he's he's not an idea that's hard to grasp because he's completely here, or at least he was mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to imagine what our listeners are are thinking right now. I, I wish I wish I could hear them answering the questions like a live classroom, it, mm. it, because I have a feeling that for each of us, it's, I remember a guy in one of the churches that we served, um, who said um, he said that as far as he was concerned, you know, God was this to be feared father image that we 
should be a little bit frightened of and and that that there should be holiness uh, and reverence around God and and he really resented people who were sort of lighthearted and flippant about God's son you know and and oh Jesus is my pal and that kind of thing and and it's interesting you know because it's just as I say that to you I'm thinking about um a certain television show that you you really like and we we all watched it because you said it was so good and and there's a little statue of Jesus that becomes a central figure in some of the episodes and and it's that whole Jesus is my buddy kind of thing and 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 so it is funny how people who don't share our beliefs inter- beliefs interpret our actions and and so to the person outside of Christianity who observes one who is crazy about Jesus there's all kinds of bizarre interpretations and I don't know some of it's justified I mean I read some stuff uh, four or five years ago that was kind of mind-boggling because it was um, it was all about these um, these various cults uh, Christian cults that had occurred back in the Middle Ages where some of the people were um, some of the, it was like like uh, holy orders of nuns that kind of thing and some of these nuns wrote things that were downright erotic uh-huh. because their interpretation of their relationship with Jesus was like he was their invisible lover mm-hmm. you know and yeah, I've had to read some of those. you know so some of this stuff is you know so so listen I, I doubt that any non-christians are listening but there might be some marginal Christians who are still not sure they buy everything we say and all this all I would say to you is is we agree that there's some really weird stuff out there that Christians say and do. And while I don't feel that it's fair to say I have an entire and complete grasp of what it means to be Christian and therefore I can decide who is or isn't Christian, I would never say that. What I would say is is that I think I can honestly say that there are an awful lot of really dumb things that get said by people who consider themselves Christians, but they really don't get it. They really don't know what it means to be a Christian, and and so they're talking. They're they <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say something colloquial, you know, but they're talking from some place other than their well-informed intellect and their transforming soul. So I think the that the really cool thing about the Trinity, kind of going back to what you said about this one guy, the cool thing about the Trinity is that. Jesus can be your pal, and God can be someone that you should approach with fear and reverence, and those can both exist in the same place. I, you know, you know like yeah. Well, because, and, and I think we're going to come around to that because it really does come back to that whole bigger on the inside yeah. thing. I mean, I think that that's the really amazing thing, is that they are three separate entities that are one. But that means that they can be a little bit mm-hmm. different because they are different. Well, and, and there are people, again, I, I talked about them a little bit a few minutes ago. There are people who are totally into the Holy Spirit and they don't think that you're in a real relationship with God until you are taken over by the Holy Spirit. But what they mean and what they demonstrate is, is that 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 they are somehow having their bodies taken over, mm-hmm. you know, which, which I, you probably could name what I'm talking about, but there are various beliefs in the occult about that, you know, where, where, you know, uh, demons are taking over your body or something and you're not really in control anymore. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I don't buy that either. Mm-hmm. I, I think God's a gentleman, so to speak. I, I know that we don't try to uh, intentionally apply gender, but, I just don't see God doing that. That you know, if if that's how God operated, He would have stepped in and intervened when Adam and Eve were on the verge of of breaking their covenant with God. You know, so so God just I so there's a lot of twisted interpretations of the Trinity. My answer to the question is is that all my life, and and I write, uh, you know, I'm writing a bog a blog for pastors, not a bog, although it could end up being a bog that you get hopelessly lost in. I don't know. But anyway, I'm writing this blog that's more directed towards pastors and young pastors in particular. And I, I've been describing my spiritual formation in the last few posts. And I um, I think in my life I've experienced God the Father 
at times, which was this overall inspiring, overwhelming experience of God. Um, that that there's a the certain reverence that it just feels like you've walked into a a uh, throne room, and and it's just it's like I I can't explain it, but I've expend, I've experienced what I would consider the overwhelming sense of God's presence and it does humble you and it is a little frightening. Mm -hmm. But then I've also felt the tenderness and the, the human compassion of Christ at times in my life. Um, and I felt that Christ was laughing with me at times about things. And then there have been times when I felt that the Holy Spirit was rushing through me and everyone in the room, like the Holy Spirit does sometimes that it, you know, so I, I have in my Christian journey and granted, I'm almost 58 years old. So it's I've had a little practice. And, and in my Christian journey, I've experienced all three mm -hmm. persons of the Trinity. It just kind of depended on the circumstances, yeah. which is I'm going to use myself as an adequate subway subway, man, segue, even bog, blog, subway, segue. I'm going to use myself as a segue to the next part of our discussion, which is basically to say, well, the whole idea of the Trinity is better understood, I think, in terms of the bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. The first thing we have to understand is, is that with God, there is no time or space that that this envelope we live in called space-time is not of any particular consequence to God because God created it. Yeah. God lives outside of He's it. Outside. So when we talk about God being three persons in one, we cannot allow ourselves to fall into the trap of thinking sequentially. Yeah. Because that's the problem everybody has is how is it that God can be three persons in one if they would all exist at exactly the same moment in the exact same uh, in all three of the individual forms and what, what people what the what proponents of the Trinity would, would have us understand and why this has become a significantly important doctrine of the Christian church is that, that, that because of the absence of space and time, God can be all three persons at once. And because of the absence of space and time, God can answer individually prayed prayers all at the same time. It's, it's because, because we're trying to imagine God being able to uh, do this as though God's going to go. It's, it's a little bit, and, and I'm so frightened of going here, but it's a little bit like trying to explain to a kid how Santa visits all those houses. And it's better to think of Santa, if you want to, as being somewhat able. He, I, his sleigh is almost like a TARDIS, mm -hmm. you know? And, and he could keep reappearing at the same moment until he was done with everything he wanted to do and then move on to the next moment. And that's the concept. That's where we tie together how the TARDIS is bigger on the inside and, and the Trinity is, is that God can be in any moment present to you and, is. and to me. And God can be present at any moment as God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. And it is because God doesn't exist within our space-time mm -hmm. continuum, and mm -hmm. and and so it's it's I I know right now that there are people listening. I might be related to one of them, whose brains are going to explode if they try too hard to understand <laughs> what I'm going to talk about, and so they're just going to chuckle at me right now and say. I believe you understand what you just said, but I have no idea what you're talking about. And here's what I want to say to you, beloved. It's okay. I don't know for sure that I know what I'm talking about. But I do know for sure that God exists outside of time and space. Mm -hmm. And all we can comprehend in this point in our lives is time and space. Mm -hmm. And so we just have to understand that in order for God to be three persons in one and to be able to hear your prayers and answer them, even while he's hearing mine and answering them and a billion other people in the world, it's because God being supreme in every way and also God being outside of space and time means that he's, it's not even right to say that God has all the time in the world because God doesn't have time because time is not a thing. 
in God's realm. Um, you know, and I don't even know how you explain that. I, I just, we, our, our whole existence is governed by the movement of stars and planets and, and the moon and, uh, and the sun rising and falling and the passage of the years and our, our bodies age sequentially over time. And so we have a sense of the passage of time because when we look in the mirror, we don't see a child anymore and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and on and on it goes. And so we, we really cannot adequately grasp this concept but we can at least sort of attain a certain intellectual assent we can sort of agree that the trinity can be an entirely plausible real thing because god being supreme in every way and living outside of space and time could do all three at the same time and we just can't find a good reason to deny it and honestly this is one of my preaching points. It's something I harp on a lot with people is every time people try to contain God in a box or dumb down God to their understanding, it's really a matter of pride. It's it's either ignorance or pride, and I have a feeling it's more pride than anything because because a spiritual leader wants to give you a plausible explanation for the thing that nobody really grasps. Because then you'll admire them and you'll recognize them as your spiritual leader. And and one of the things that most perceived leaders aren't comfortable with is saying, I don't know. When people are perceived as leaders, like a pastor of a church or something like that, and then someone comes and asks them a question that's really hard and you look at them and go, I don't know, but I believe it. That's a hard thing to do. It takes a lot of courage to say, I'm still willing to lead you towards this thing I believe is real, even though I can't explain it for you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I get it. That's why most of these, you know, weird interpretations of, of what Christians believe happen, because humans feel more comfortable with explanations. Mm-hmm. But if I could explain everything about God, then God wouldn't be God. Yeah. You know. And, and so to take that point just a step further is to say that I understand what God's really doing because I think what God did was God left heaven, came to earth, left earth, came back as a spirit, is to say, now I've put God in an imagined, explainable, compartmentalized form. But what you've done is you've taken God's godness away. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and and that's the problem. So, well, okay. So I've got a picture on the computer screen over here yes. that Matt Rawl asks us to examine. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Andre Rublev's Trinity. It's an icon. Mm-hmm. Icons are uh, something that are, in their strictest form, um, are unique to the. Orthodox tradition. Uh, icons are not the same thing in this case as those little pictures on your computer screen that you push to make things happen or on your phone. Uh, these are images that are believed to have been divinely created. Uh, they're usually on wood. And this one is very famous because it's his uh, image of the Trinity. And it alludes to the story when Abraham is visited by the three angels yeah. who are considered to be the three persons of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? Do, do you see on this picture? I, I'm going to be honest before you came in to sit down and record this with me. I studied this for several minutes trying to figure out what I was looking at and I don't get it. Okay. So I'm counting on you to make this make sense for all of us. Because when I look at it, I see that there are three persons with halos. Yeah. Uh, if you're not able to look at this right now, all I can tell you is, is this is a kind of classic Orthodox icon. And it is a table, a little small table with three people sitting around it very close together. There's hardly any space between their shoulders. And one's behind the table and then one is sitting on either side of the table. And then... There is a fourth person in the picture, so to speak, and that's us. 
Yeah, we're on the other side. Because we're on this side of the table. Yeah. And so they all have halos. They have a few symbols around them that I'm not sure how to interpret. Mm -hmm. They all look sort of androgynous. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is not uncommon. Yeah. When when people With style of art. representing especially angels or, or spirit people, you know. But but you know it's interesting because, um, by his own explanation, this was the visitation of the three angels to Abraham. But ever since he painted it, it has always been considered his work has been known as the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, um, what is it about those three figures that brings to mind the Trinity, other than there's three of them? I don't have a solid answer. I mean, he talks, Matt Rawl talks about in, in my book, he talks about how like you can see that the one figure on the left is looking at the other two, and the other two are looking at that one. Mm-hmm. So that looks like it would be God, and then the other two would be Son and Spirit. Um, and then he talks about like this the way the things their hands are doing, like that the Spirit's hands are facing toward the earth because mm-hmm. that's where the Spirit does most of its work. Mm-hmm. And like the middle person, he's his doing hand like is, a like, peace sign. Well, the middle person's hand is, like, over the cup, yeah. is what he says. Um, like, he's blessing the cup. So, but I mean, on my own, I don't know that I would necessarily interpret all of that. I do think the images behind them are interesting, because, like, there's a house or some kind of building behind the one that he's saying is God. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. The Father's house. And there's a tree behind the one he's saying is Jesus, and there's a mountain behind the one he's saying is the Spirit, which is also kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah. But so, listeners, I beg you every week to get <laughs> into the conversation. Here's a good one: come to the Knowing God with Heart and Mind Facebook page and tell us what you see when you look at that picture. Look up. Uh, this uh, Rublev's Trinity and tell us what you see. So basically the thing that Rawl wants us to remember is is that the way this is drawn there's a fourth person in the picture Mm -hmm. and it's us. It's you. Everyone who looks at this is the fourth person and, and I do see that and if it's a trinity and it's a it's a uh, symbolically it's a, a loving relationship the three are one and they are interdependent and they love each other and uh the reason that there have to be even though we've kind of covered it as far as a space-time not space-time issue then there's still this relation these, these relationships these are unique individuals yet one and each has a particular personality and a particular quality that is different from the other and there is a completeness of the three that makes them not only um a a uh you know like a perfect team which is one of the ways we could interpret that but they are a a perfect uh spiritual relationship which you know like a marriage or something like that where two people who are separate become one and yet remain two individuals, you know, and it's like that. And yeah. and I think it's unique that the Trinity, and, and I don't even know where I'm going with this, so if you all, you know, just bear with me. I just think it's interesting that this, it's a Trinity and not a quadrinity. Um, it, it, like, like whenever I set up uh, leadership structures in church or something like that, I intentionally create an uneven number. And it, it isn't because I always vote on everything because if we can do everything by consensus all the better because it's better for us to get along and to to agree together about what to do but when it's necessary to vote an uneven number is important now i don't know that this has anything to do with the trinity but i just sort of it's kind of interesting but another way to look at it is, is there is a fourth person and they're not equal to those three 
but there is a fourth person who's been invited to be part of this. And it's the believer. It's the one who, because Christ died for them, is now welcome in God's household. And because the Holy Spirit's been born in them, are in their spiritual genetics uh, have more in common with the three persons at the table than the one who has not. And so we're being invited into the family. Yeah. And so this open invitation is there in this image Mm -hmm. of, you know, you're invited into the family because of those three, the father who wants you there, the son who makes it possible for you to be there and the Holy spirit who makes you, uh, able to comprehend your relationship with God in a way that you could not, you know. So, well, I was also I sitting here thinking that the Trinity makes sense to me because once upon a time when I was in middle school, I had to take this class that I really didn't want to take that was about it was called technology, but it was basically like building trades and learning how to use different materials and stuff. And I had to build different things, and I remember learning in that class and learning from you that when you're building, triangles make a whole lot more sense and are a whole lot stronger yep. than other things. Yep. And tri- so the Trinity is a triangle. Mm-hmm. Makes a whole lot of sense to me. It does, and it doesn't matter what position it's in. It's always the same. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, where, uh, yeah. So <laughs> the study guide says that since this is your last session, you should consider having refreshments. And of course that should include fish fingers and custard <laughs> because one of the doctor's incarnations really loved fish fingers and custard. And, uh, and he dipped the fish fingers in the custard yeah, and, you know, delicious. and yeah, you know, it's probably not bad. I'd, I'd try it, but. Um, but, and he says under no circumstances should this be considered Holy communion, but it gives you an opportunity to talk about communion. Mm-hmm. So you're having refreshments and they're kind of Hoovian in their intention. But while you're talking about having refreshments together, it gives you an opportunity to consider what Jesus was saying when he presented the last supper or the, or the, uh, Holy communion. And, uh, you know, what is Jesus telling us to do uh, in embracing him? Uh, what are we supposed to do in remembrance of him? Is he simply telling us to have a meal or is there something more to it? You know, um, how can we as the church make sure that our celebrations of Holy Communion do what Jesus calls us to do in remembrance of him? How can they be about more than just bread and wine and grape juice? Well, if you're... If you're actively seeking to remember someone and honor that person, then it's about being like that person. So if he's saying, do this in remembrance of me, well, it's great to dunk some bread in a cup on Sunday morning, but if you're actually doing something in remembrance of him, you're supposed to be acting like him. Yeah. Because... That's yeah. how you honor that person. Yep. Yep. I think that's the idea. Um, just so happens we're recording this the day before one of our communion services. And, you know, each time I lead a communion service, I try to give new life to it for people by explaining certain things. But at the end of the day, the most important thing for them to understand is, is that when they do this, in remembrance of him, it is an invitation to be united with him and united with everyone else who's united with him. Mm-hmm. And that's what communion means. You know, uh, it's a mixture of all of us who are in relationship with him and, and really even both living and dead. So the idea is that Holy Communion is a gathering of people uh, to the Lord And by symbolically taking the bread and the cup, what we are doing is we are literally, and this is where we believe something supernatural is involved in our tradition, is that it's a symbolic gesture that has a supernatural part to it. And the supernatural part is is that at that moment, we are 
each individually approaching our Lord because he's invited us and welcomed us to do so. Mm-hmm. And yet, as we do so, we are doing it together because we are a family because of him. And we are also in communion then even with those who have died and gone to heaven because they're in communion with him. So yeah. it's, it's an act that reminds us we are all connected because of him, because of the same Holy Spirit and so forth. And so I think that's the answer to the question. And it's always good to try to, to interpret that. Um, so it says I could ask you what one thing is that you learned from this, but if I know my daughter, I know she hadn't learned anything. She knew it all before. <laughs> well, at least the things we talked about today. Yeah. I, did, I didn't mean that as an insult to your character. I just mean that I don't think I covered anything today that you hadn't already thought about. Thought least, about yeah. You know, that's all because you're a pretty smart cookie. Um, so spend a lot of time in my own brain. Just uh, folks, this is the last one, and maybe it was weird to you that we did this Doctor Who thing, but I hope it's been fun for you. I hope if you like Doctor Who, or have dabbled in it a little bit, that this has been more insightful and fun. Um, we would just ask that you take a few minutes to imagine that you could go anywhere outside of space and time, and had your own TARDIS. What would you do? Where would you go? And uh, just consider, you know, if you could have an audience with God, what would you? How would that change your life? I mean, we can talk to God, but to really have had a a experience, an undeniable sort of experience of God, changes people. Um, most people say they believe in God. Most people are comfortable talking to God, but only. A relatively small number of people can say, I really have a living relationship with God, with the Lord, and it's not, you know, one-sided. Um, and and when you have that kind of encounter with God, it changes you. Mm-hmm. And how could it not change you? You know, how could you witness a miracle and never be the same again? That kind of thing. Uh, so the, with that in mind, uh, I'm going to close our Doctor Who study with their closing prayer from the study guide. Remember, guys, you can do this. You can do this. You can take this study. You can buy these books, and you can sit down with a small group wherever you are, and you can dive into this book because an expert, a good, a good scholar, has given you the tools. And you don't have to worry about whether you have the qualifications or not. And, and the people in your study group, they're not going to care if you read a prayer from the book. They're not going to care if you ask them to, you know, do certain things. And because if you want to know what the real definition of church is, it's not denominational institutional churches with big buildings and pastors who are the only ones who can communicate things of value. That None of that is church. Church is where people who have been saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit gather together to share in God's grace and listen to the voice of Christ and to experience the Holy Spirit together. So if three or four of you gather together and you take a study like this and you do it, you're church. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd love to see you at Shiloh because the more real believers there are, the better the world will be. And if we could all gather together, we might be able to turn an institution into a house full of churches. But do this wherever you are, however you are. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time we've had together over the past few weeks. Thank you for the witness of those in the past. Thank you for the ways you've blessed us in the present. And thank you for the opportunities we have to grow and serve in the future. Bless us as we go from this study that we might participate in the work you called us to do to deliver your message of good news to all who need to hear it and offer beauty and hope to those who are suffering. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I've made a decision, Bethany. Oh? You you pretty much went along with it a while back. <laughs> but I uh, our next round of classes, our next round of, of Knowing God with Heart and Mind podcasts, is going to be on C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. Okay. I really like that. 
book, and uh, we want to um, we want to really have some fun with that. I'm looking forward to it, and we would love to hear your suggestions, friends. If you have something you want us to uh, to study, I, just get a hold of us. And and I, I feel like a broken record, and I almost feel sort of pathetic because I plead <laughs> with you every week. You know, we just like to hear from you. We just like to know yeah. somebody's listening. I the statistics that that are are uh, we use Podbean.com and Podbean shows us that people are watching or listening rather, and it shows us uh, where they are, where they're listening. But we don't know if any of that's really accurate yeah. unless you communicate with us. So you know. Well, and we're we're choosing things to study that we think will be of interest to you, but we have no way of knowing for sure if we don't hear from you. That's right. So you know, so. drop us a line. Uh, some of you are part of the church and you tell us, you know, like on your way through on Sunday morning, but I wish you could know how hard it is for me to grasp information that way. Uh, on Sunday morning, there's a different energy and atmosphere for a pastor. And it's really hard to, to, to really quantify what things are being told to me. I, I always say, if it's important to you, write it down. Cause if you give it to me verbally on Sunday morning, it may be in one ear and out the other. Because Sunday is an interesting dynamic for a pastor. So I'm just telling you, you the truth. wait until at least after lunchtime. Yeah, so, you know, send me an email. Write me a note. Those are the best ways for me to hear what you think. And we would really welcome that. But in the meantime, we want to wish you the very best. And thanks for joining us for this Doctor Who study. Happy February. Happy February. Go, uh, go watch Doctor Who. There's a new season on right now. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the current Doctor Who incarnation is a terrific actress who is really bringing a, a whole, you know, kind of con- there's a continuity between the characters because they always have certain quirks and personality traits that are the same, but they have unique expressions of those things. And she's nailed it. And let me tell you, it's a great time to jump in because the last episode was a doozy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Lots of brain stuff to think through. Yeah, really. Well, okay, Uh, I think we're done for now, and I just thank you again for listening. God bless you. Bye. Bye.